Um, if you haven't been with us, every single week, I'm going to give a little recap, a little review. Uh, we've been doing a series called Stuff Christians Do, and the reason we did that is because sometimes Christians do stuff and they don't realize why they do it, or they don't understand the meaning behind the action, and we've gone over a few of them. So the first thing we went over was worship. We had Pastor Jonathan, Olivia's dad, come in, and we talked about worship, and we specifically talked about how worship is, is um, bigger, um, a lot more than just when we sing songs and we sing praises to God in that way. We learned that our life, what, what we do just with our life is an act of worship. That when we adore God, when we thank God, specifically when we, when we, when we obey God. Did I say that? I think I said that. No, I didn't. Obey. When you obey God, when you do the right thing over the wrong thing, that right there is an act of of worship. When you do what he commands, such as when he tells you to pray, and you do that, that's worship to God. So every little thing can be an act of worship. So is your life worship? Could you look at your life and say that my life is worship to God? And then when we do sing with music, are you able to lay everything down and actually worship, actually adore him in that time? That's a great time to do it. Is your life uh, worship. The next thing we talked about was Christians' sin. I, just, I remember um, I would always hear people say, Christians are hypocrites. And I was like, why have we ever not accepted that? Of course we're hypocrites. We're hypocrites in the sense that we desire to do the right thing. We desire to be like Christ, yet at the end of the day, we're going to fail. There's times we're going to fail. And maybe if we would admit that we're hypocrites, maybe if we would admit our sin, Maybe it wouldn't be a question if we have a sinful nature or not. Let's read Luke 35, 31 through 32. I'm reading this one. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I preached a long time ago on this in that Jesus is looking for those that know they're sinners, not who think they're righteous. He's looking for those people that know I'm a sinner, not I'm, I'm a good person. The people that, are, that know that they're sinners, that can openly admit it, they're the ones that get Jesus. They're the ones that are attracted to Jesus. Jesus is not attracted to those that recognize they are, Jesus is attracted to those who recognize they are flawed and are in need of a Savior. So to save us from ourselves, um, to save us from trying to save ourselves, and is, is to confess our sins. And I remember saying that if we all got up here one by one and confessed all of our sins to each other, None of us would walk away saying, I think uh, we don't have a, I don't think we have a sinful nature. All of us would walk away saying, I need a savior. Something, something's got to give here. And we see this in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is very, very healthy to confess your sins to one another and especially confess it to God and yourself. Do not kid yourself. When we admit we are hypocrites, we admit that we need Jesus. Next we did is communion. Communion was a tradition started by Jesus at the Last Supper when he broke the bread and, he, and they drank the grape juice. And, uh, and it was a moment for them to remember what Jesus has done. This wasn't exactly something that has to be done in church. It doesn't have to happen just every now and then. This is something that can happen a lot. It's actually up to you to take the time, take 
to say, I remember what Jesus did for me, to remember what he did, and then to look inside yourself, look in and say, what do I need to get right? What are some dark corners of my heart I need Jesus to shine light on? It's a moment to really get right with God. Then we went over tithes and offering, which you guys have a position paper from the Assemblies of God, which we're in Assemblies of God Church. For those of you that maybe you walked away from that sermon and you were confused, or you um, weren't able to piece together the 3,000 points I probably made in that sermon, and you would like a collective paper written by smarter people than me, there it is. But what, we, what I'm going to talk about really quick, we learned that tithe, I focus on this part way too much. Tithe is not a commandment, but what I didn't focus on is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's not a commandment in, the, in, in that way, but yeah, it is. How we know this is, it is a direct, what we do with our money is a direct reflection of our heart and our relationship with God. That if you value money so much that you're selfish with it, how in the world are you in right relationship with Jesus? One that gave all of himself, poured himself all out. Then you would be defined, if you're in right relationship, you would be a generous giver. Because money would not be a priority for you. Our response to that message isn't, I don't have to tithe 10%. The moral is, tithing at 10% is the bottom line. That is the starting point. You don't have to worry about a percentage so much when you are giving generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, thankfully, regularly, spontaneously. If you are giving less than 10%, are you really lining up with what God wants? That's a question that's not for me to really say and give you yes or no answer. It's between you and God. But I'd say, man, if it is under 10%, which before the law with Abraham and Jacob, before it was even a rule, they did 10%. That's what they did. So if you're giving under, that's between you and him. But make sure you're in right relationship with him. And you can answer those, those six requirements of giving, which is, are you really sacrificial and cheerful and doing those types of things? When you get money, when you receive it, do you ask God, how much do I get to give? Or do you say, how much do I get to spend? And that's really the heart of giving, is that it's not something you have to do, it's something you get to do. And Christians, we went over Galatians and the Philippians, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, there's a quiz, you have to remember all three of those. Um, he's writing to them about giving, and he was giving their example, and how they just gave more uh, beyond their means. So, if your parents, if your parents say to you, uh, you're giving 10%, you're giving 10% of your money when it comes in, that's a great thing. I wish my parents did that for me. Uh, Emily's family, they, they did that. It was right when she, when grandma gave her two bucks, it was like 20 cents, because all of it's God's, and we're going to give 10%. And so what I don't want is you guys to go home and say, mom and dad, it's not a commandment. I don't have to do that. No. That is not the right response. There's a lot of things your parents command you to do that aren't exactly commandments in the Bible, but they're good practices for the future. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you must make your bed. Am I right? You must clean your room. But what mom and dad are doing is saying, you have to do this under our rules. That way when you're out of the house, you're not a slob. You must give 10%. That way when you're out of the house, money's not your idol. And you recognize who God is and the priority he is. He is above money. He is the ultimate giver. So if they're giving you those rules and they're setting those guidelines, you do not argue with that. That is great. That is an awesome thing. Next we did was water baptism. 
And we talked about uh, some history of it. Uh, if, you're, if you are a Christian, then you need to be baptized in water. Uh, it needs to be immersion in water, meaning go all the way under, come all the way back up. And then we talked about how water baptism, that very act, represents what Jesus did for us. We did that in four steps. So if you've been to water baptism, someone's standing in a pool or a lake or whatever, and they have the kick. All right, and we related this to the movie Inception. Uh, the kick to wake you up. Okay? You need a kick to wake you up, and you're sitting there. When you're, when you're right there, you recognize Jesus is real. He was the Son of God. He died, rose again. You realize that. You were blind, now you see. You were sleeping, now you've woken up. And then the pastor then dips you under the water, and that's called the burial. And what that represents is now that you realize that you believe in Jesus, you also re- realize, I need a Savior. I'm sinful. And that your sin on your own would drown you. Without Jesus, we would be completely hopeless in our sin. And that's when we go under, in that brief moment that we're scared that the pastor might not pull us up, is that moment. Because you realize we are dead to sin. Sin, sin. sin would kill us. But then there's the cleanse, where the water, when the pastor pulls you back up, and the water literally like washes your, you're coming up out of the water, that represents Jesus. And how for no reason other than he loved you, he died for you. And even though you have sin, he covered it. He washed it away and said, that's okay. You can still be in my presence. I'm going I'm to reunite you with God. You're going to be in right relationship. And he covered up all of our blemishes, washed them away. That's the cleanse. And then the new life. So are you living a new life? If you've taken those steps, you recognize what Jesus has done, and you're a Christian, you should be living a new life. So are you. And if you are living a new life, have you told someone? Have you told anyone about this new life? I talked about me almost drowning, living, and I had to go tell everyone I knew that I almost died. So have you told someone that you live? And then tonight, we're talking about prayer. We're going to go through the how, uh, the, what is it? How, what, when, when, what is it? Yeah, we're going to go through all those five to understand prayer. All right, first, what is prayer? Simple, quickest point, prayer is talking with God. Next, all right, how to pray. Now, when I was younger, prayer was this really big deal. It was really intimidating, really scary. I have a picture, okay? I found this in the office today at staff meeting. And this is me. This is fifth grade me in a Hawaiian red shirt looking fly. Austin Burgess, where you at, bro? Whoop, whoop, that's his sister, Kaylee. And what happened is Dan Rockefeller came into our Sunday school in fifth grade, and he was like, I really want a prayer shot. But this right here, that shot, that summed up what prayer was to me. It was like edge of your bed, on your knees. You had to have eyes closed, hands folded, because you you were talking to God. That's a big deal. It is scary. I remember I had to pray. I had to pray with the camera, taking pictures of me, and that was scary. It was intimidating. I was worried I was going to say something really weird. I was really nervous about um, being judged by my friends for them to be like, he does not know how to pray good. He is a bad prayer. How many of you have had that fear when you pray, especially with other people? You can be honest, ever at one point in time, you've been nervous that other people are going to judge you, right? That's a huge fear. Even some of you right now probably have that fear. That's scary. So, 
A lot of us maybe have that notion that prayer is very formal, it's very serious, and we're really scared from judgment from others. And I really want to break that idea of prayer. I really want to, to reestablish what prayer is. And so now we're learning how to pray. But in order for us to know how to pray, we need to know who God is. So there's three elements of God that I want to point out really quick. First is God is Father. And whoever is Ephesians 4, 6, if you could read that out loud. Good. Psalm 68.5. You probably got that too. What do you think was the theme there? Come on, say it. What was the theme? What did we hear? Father. Nailed it. Good. One for one. God adopted us as sons and daughters. All right. Though he is God, he established over and over that we are his children and he is our father. And even in Psalms where he's saying he's the father to the fatherless. He loves to take care of us. And he treats us like sons and daughters and the best father in the entire world. We need to know that. That is a characteristic of God. Of God. Sec, second is God is our friend. God is a friend. Who's got John 15, 14 through 15? Very good. If you read James 2.23 for me now. Very good. What was the theme there? Nailed it. Good. Two for two. God is our friend. Well, that's kind of interesting because a lot of us, when we look at our father, I mean, that is person of authority. Um, there's a lot of things I would say to my friends. I wouldn't exactly say to my father. Am I right? A lot of you probably feel the same way. It's a totally different relationship. But at the same time, God not only is our father and that he wants to protect us, take care of us, he's also our friend because he always wants to be by our side. He wants to hear everything that's on our heart. He cares about the little details in our lives. I don't know if he really cares about what boy you like, but if he's a friend, maybe he does. Maybe you should talk about it with him. But God is our friend. So we know those two things. Because God is father and friend, we should speak to him as such. So when we're praying and, it's all, and we have this idea that prayer is formal, we should talk to God as if he is father and friend. So when you talk to your friends, you talk to your father, is there any nervousness? Do you have to approach your father? And I'm sorry if you have to do, do you have to approach your father on your knees, eyes closed, hands folded? Do you have to? That's not a bad thing. If you do that, that's great. But you don't have to. That nervousness is gone. When I said, what is prayer? Prayer is talking with God. We make it sometimes a big thing in our minds, but really at the end of the day, that's all it is. It is talking to our Father, our Heavenly Father, and the best friend we could ever have. That simple. To get over the nervousness, you should pray out loud on your own. Out loud. That'll take a lot. Like when you come and you pray with others, then it won't be so, you won't be so nervous about them judging you. If you've, if you've done it on your own, you can do it in front of everyone. The third point is God is Lord. 
So if we have that, that nervousness because it's like, oh man, it's God. Well, there is that element. God is Lord. And uh, who's got Jeremiah 32, 17 for me? Read it. Mm-hmm. Right? Read the next one. All right, so this is in Jeremiah chapter 32, and God's saying, is anything too hard for me? And Jeremiah's like, nothing's too hard for you, God, right? And he calls him Lord. He addresses him, oh, Lord, all right, because all-powerful, and he can do anything. Last one's in Luke 18, 27. What does that say? What's impossible with man is possible with God. So though he is father and friend, he is bigger and better than any father or friend this, on this planet, and he is a whole lot more. So uh, you can talk to him like you're talking to me, but don't forget at any point in time who he is. He is a lot bigger and better than me, a lot bigger and better than your dad, guaranteed. Don't forget that he is Lord. All right. So the next thing, I was talking to my mother-in-law, and I was wondering, you know, just get her ideas. How do you teach prayer? How do you teach prayer to, 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 to youth? And she was an elementary teacher. And so she would go through an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S. So tonight, we're going to go through ACTS and how to pray. How do we go through this process? So A is adore. To worship him and to fulfill the commandment to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. As we spend time in adoration, we praise God for who he is, our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. So you don't have to follow this formula or this, do it this exact way every single time. But if one of these elements is not in your prayer life at some point in time, you need to, you need to recheck how you do prayer. In your prayer life, there needs to be a time where you adore God. And that is a moment you're flattering him because he deserves it. You're letting, you're, you are letting him know you appreciate him. You appreciate who he is. So that can, you can just say the words. It's right here. God, you're our creator. Thank you for creating me. You are powerful. All right? However you would build me up, just do that to God, all right? So you're building him up because he deserves that. Have a time of adoring him. And we see this example in Psalm 95, 1 through 7. Who's got Psalm 95? Like a boss, Aaron. Let God know how much you appreciate him. You wouldn't come to your friend and your father and just ask for things. You let your friends know why you love him. You let your father know why you love him. And if you don't, you should probably start doing that with your friends and your father. And a great place to start is by doing that with God. In your prayer life to adore God. And that'll help you building up others. The next part, A, C. Okay, so adore, confess. Confession allows us to clear away the things in the relationship between you and God which are displeasing to Him. It's a little difficult 
to go to your, to your father or your friend and you did something against them. You, you, you did something that you weren't supposed to and it hurt them. And then ask them for a bunch of things. God, I need, uh, Father, I need this, this, this. And I'm sorry, I wrecked, you just don't even mention that you wrecked the car the night before, right? So this confession time is a time for you to get right with God. Because it would be selfish of you not to confess those things that you've done against him before you ask him of anything, right? There is value in confession. You rely on God and value him as Savior. All right, the next part is T. So after you've adored him, you've confessed your sins to him, you thank him, which is very similar to adore, in my opinion. But from child, we are brought up to say thank you when someone does something for us or gives us a gift. Each moment, God is blessing us. Every minute, we can recall the wonderful things that God has done for us and the gifts that we have been given. And so, we need to be constantly thanking God for his blessings. Who's got 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18? We need to open up our eyes to give God credit more often. To thank him for whatever you can think of. And from here on out, look for ways to thank God. Look for ways he has blessed you. And I know me, I would hear people be like, thank Jesus, that was him. Or, mm, that was the devil. And I was like, really? Was it? Was it? And But I would encourage you guys, if you're going to err on the side of thank God for literally every good thing or just question everything that happens to you as if it's really God or not, I would pray that you would err on this side of it. I'd pray that you would side on thanking him, even if you aren't 100% sure that you would go on that side as opposed to question literally everything that happens in your life. So thank God in all circumstances. That's an easy verse to memorize. In all circumstances. Next part is, this is not a time to thank God for being better or more awesome than everyone else. And I know you don't do this, but the Pharisees did this. All right, so Jesus is telling uh, a parable in Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, which what that means is one is a religious leader, the other one is like the worst job in the world, the most greedy, dirtiest person in the world. It was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by him, prayed thus. This is what he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, which when I hear this, I think of a like basketball player just like doing that. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the problem that was going on here is the Pharisees were going around praying out loud in these ways, basically saying, God, thank you that I'm so awesome and they're so terrible. And even though you may not be doing this, I would like to give you examples of how not to do this. If I could have, have my, 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 my crew up here, please, to help me out with this next part.
can do it right here. Um, ben, can you get the lights for me? And can you turn that, Jason, can you turn that light on over there? Right there? Right there. Right there. And then you can take the pot. Take the pot. And turn the second one on, too. Right here. Bear with it. It's worth it. I need a pen. All right. Okay. Thank you. I don't know how many of you have seen Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon has one of my favorite segments on late night TV. It's called Thank You Notes. And so, to show you what not to do when praying, I want to do some thank you notes. This first one I just wrote. All right, let's do the, let's do the rough, rough draft one first, okay? Thank you, God, for 15 passenger vans to pick up volunteers to autos in April, except for those rebellious ones that run away, like Jacob Harris. Hold on. Wasn't ready. New one. Man, Jimmy Fallon's so talented. He does so many things at once. Thank you, God, for making my triceps massive and my thighs as glorious as a Greek god. I know that with all my manliness, both Kyler and Aaron will not stand a chance against me in a wrestling match. Mm. That's so true. That's why I don't wrestle them. All right. Thank you, God, for giving me the immense knowledge to know how to use Facebook and the internet. As several inept high schoolers still do not know that we have a blog. We have a blog. Thank you, God, for making me far superior at lying and manipulation than Simon Sheets. Forever he will lose to me in the resistance and mafia. Mm. Thank you, God, for belts that keep my pants on. For every time Carson Fink does announcements, he seems to have a problem with losing his pants. Last one. Thank you, God, for allowing me to grow up in Springfield, Missouri, where I learned how to say words correctly, like bag, flag, and sauna. Thank you for not making me a backwoods Minnesotan hick. That's thank you notes. We can start instituting some annual thank you notes. Abigail, can you turn the lights on for me? (laughs) You are wonderful. Now you know what not to do when you pray. The last thing, S, 
So adore, confess, thank, supplication, which is kind of a weird word. You'll actually find it in your Bible. What that means is to supply. This is your time to ask God for, the, for needs. All right, what do you need? This is time to ask God, you know, your prayers. Okay? I'm on a weird page. All right, so who uh, should we pray for? This is, this is the part. So supplication, when you're asking for supplies, God, this is what I need. You need to understand, well, at this point, who? Who should we pray for? And the first person that we can see here is others. So your friends, your family, um, other Christians here in this room. And we see this in James 5.16. Who's got James 5.16? Read it. I don't know if you guys know um, Khalees Braithwaite. She has like memorized like four books of the Bible. She's an incredible specimen. Uh, thank you, God. Um, you're, you're incredible. Talk about hide word in your heart. This girl. All right. But what we say, <laughs> thank you, Blake. All right. So James 5 is confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Boom. Got it? Pray for one another. Others. Second person you pray for. And recently a friend, uh, he encouraged me to do this. And it was awesome. Pray for your enemies. Who's got Matthew 5, 44? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Braid the hair of the girl in front of you. <laughs> pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I don't know how many guys, I'm not asking for... Uh, hands to be raised. Hey, I'm not asking for hands to be raised, but I want you to think, is there somebody that is a bully to you at school? Okay, well, I wasn't asking for hands or voices. Is, is there someone that bullies you? Is there someone that is just mean to you? Maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's at school. I not, do not want you to say it out loud. Are you praying for them? Have you prayed good things for that person? Because once you pray good things for that person, then God can work on the bitterness in your heart, the hatred that you build up for them, so that you can love them. Because just like Jesus, we were enemies in the sense that our sin, that people were the ones that literally killed him, that even he's on the cross, he forgave us and he loved us. So are you praying for that person that you got, that you just, You've built up a lot there. Are you praying for them? Asking God to, to come into their life and to move in them. Next, the world. The world. So, leaders. Are you praying for world leaders? And I, do not take this the wrong way. I'm going to hear weird things from you. I get, are you praying for Barack Obama? Are you, pray, I'm not, nah. are you praying for Barack Obama? I don't know if you guys know if anything is going on in Russia right now or, or Ukraine. Are you praying for Vladimir Putin? Are you? Next for the world, are you praying for Russia and Ukraine? Are you praying for Syria? Do you not know what's going on with them? You, need to, you cannot be ignorant to those things. You need to read up. You need to be praying for these situations. You need to be praying for other countries. You need to be praying, praying, praying for poverty, for those third world countries that just need food. You need to be praying for them. And last because prayer is humbling, is then you can pray for yourself. You guys can do whatever order you want. I think this is a good order. Then pray for yourself. 
what you specifically need. So 1 Peter 5, 7, who's got that? All of it. Psalm 55, 22. Right on. So, so far we've talked a lot about God as friend, God as father, that we can adore him, we can confess our sins to him, we can thank him. But when it comes to supplies, when it comes to God answering prayer, we need to remember that he is Lord. And just like we read in Jeremiah earlier, nothing's too hard for him. And anything that we see is impossible is possible with him. So when you are praying for things for other people, when you're praying for the world, when you're praying for your enemies and you're praying for what you need, remember that, that he is Lord. He even says he wants all your anxieties in every single one of your cares. He doesn't just want the little things, which would be, I don't know, what are little things? God, help me with this test. I'm not going to categorize it. Sorry if I just did that. Little things like, help me um, pass the test. And big things, like God, cure my grandpa of cancer. He doesn't just want this, and he doesn't just want this. He wants everything. He wants this to this and everything in between. So the next question is, when should you pray? If you were to pray with him on, on every little thing, when should you do it? And we already heard this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 earlier. Pray without ceasing. Or in the NIV, it's pray continually. Pray all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but none of you right now are praying um, with your eyes closed uh, this whole entire time, and I don't understand why you're not following Scripture. I'm totally kidding. So what does pray continually or pray without ceasing mean? What does that mean? Okay, so when should we pray? I'm just going to answer right now. All the time, everywhere. But how does that happen? What this is saying is we need to always be in a state of prayer. Never out of conversation with God. And so I viewed it as a door, like a door up to heaven. And you open that door, and sometimes when I was little kids, like when you went to bed and you got on your knees, you opened the door and said, hi, God. And you prayed to him, right? So what this is saying is don't close that door. You need to always have that door open so you can say prayers to him when you're walking down the hallway, right before a test, before you go to bed, before you eat a meal, after you eat a meal, before your, your grandpa goes into radiation, you know, always have that door open so that you can talk to him, but it's a two-way street. Always have that door open so he can talk to you. Because when that door is open, when you're in a constant state of prayer, there's a lot of things he's going to tell you. Things gonna, he's going to move in your heart, let you know, hey, you need to go do this. So when we hear pray, continue, pray without ceasing, can you imagine your life if you were in a constant communication with God, how radically your life would be different? I remember I was a different person at school than what I was at church until I heard this. I did not even fathom the idea of always in conversation with God, always available to talk to Him because it's just talking with Him. When that happened, my heart changed. My heart for people changed. How I acted changed because when you're in the constant presence of God and talking to him, you will be a different person. And so the last one, which I'm going to have Ben, can you go grab the lights for me, buddy? The last point, which we've done all of them, is why, why pray? Let's watch this video. 
So I asked that question, why pray? And the reason that we pray is that prayer changes things. Prayer matters. And as we look at these two, we look at Wes and we look at Kathy. And I just sat down yesterday for lunch and said, hey, have you guys ever had God move in your life? Have you ever had, like, did you pray and, and something happened? They said, yeah. They told me. And I was like, I'm going to record that. It was just an incredible story, and it really moved me. And then so it made me reflect and said, you know, has God ever answered a prayer in my life? Have I really prayed for something and God answered? And there's several of those times, but there's one that was really recent that I wanted to share. I don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago when Emily talked about her papa, and he talked about how he, they had found a tumor uh, inside of him, and he's already gone through a chemo and, and hormones, and he did not want to go through that again. He did not want to do that. And they told him, it's 20% chance you're fine. 80% chance it's cancer. And so for the past several weeks, we've been praying. Every staff meeting, we've been praying. Me and Emily, we've been praying. And as of last Thursday, when Emily was up in Iowa, the test came back, and he's cancer-free. I know for every one of these stories, there's someone where the prayer wasn't answered. And I don't have the answer for that. And I can't tell you why God chose to answer some and not others. But what I'm not going to do is not give him the credit when he does. I'm going to look for the moment to thank him. That time is now. To thank him for what he has done and for moving. And so, let's go over it really quick. What we've learned tonight. So when do you believe that prayer can change things? Do you have that faith that, that actually, it actually can work? Nothing is too hard for God and nothing is impossible with him. So do you have the faith to actually believe it? So what is prayer? Prayer is talking with God. How should we pray? Adore, confess, thank, supply. Go through those four steps, and that's how you can pray. It's like talking to a father, talking to a friend, but don't forget that he's Lord. Who should we pray for? We should pray for others. We should pray for our enemies. We should pray for the world. And then you should pray for yourself. When should we pray? Everywhere, all the time. Be in a constant state of prayer and keep that door open. Why should we pray? Prayer matters and prayer changes things.